name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, continue, or actually start chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4, we, if you remember, we ended last chapter. Chapter 3 was the last church, was the church of uh, Laodicea. And if we go over chapter 3, the, this last church quickly, and see what the Lord told the Laodicean. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write the Amen, the faithful and the, wit- the true witness, head of the creation of God, says these things, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because they say, I am rich and increased with goods and have needs of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy me gold purified by fire so that you may be rich and white uh, clothing so that you may be clothed so that the shame of your nakedness does not appear and anoint your eyes with salve so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I open and opens the door, I will come to him, to him and will dine with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. He who has a need, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, the, the end here, in the last couple of verses, we see that the reward to this church was to sit on the throne with the Son, and basically that the door, our door was closed, and Jesus standing on the door, knocking and waiting for Him, you know, to enter, when we open to Him. We're going to see the exact opposite in chapter 4. We're going to see that the heaven is open there is a door in heaven open it's not closed and we're going to see what is God's throne that he's talking about how is the throne looks like and what is what is the throne so let's read the first few verses and see what the Lord is uh, is trying to tell us after these things I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what must occur after these things. So this is after these things. The first vision, now this is the second vision, the first vision of the first seven churches took place on earth. If you go back to chapter 1, when John was on earth, the Lord appeared to him, and he told him, write these things, what I'm about to tell you. And every church said, write, write, write. Now, as we can see, this is a little bit different. Here he's telling him, come up here. This elevation or this, you know, uh, has to happen in order to know what God wants and what, what is God planning to do all the way to the end of days. The first vision was related to church on earth and it took place on earth. The second vision actually we're going to see this is going to be like you know one continuous one major uh, event happening. He went up to heaven 
who don't know how, he does not know how. Uh, St. Paul says similar thing. I was, in, you know, I know a man in Christ, whether in the body or I do not know, or outside the body, I do not know. Uh, God knows. Uh, such a one was caught up in the, uh, to the, up to the third heaven. But John went up to the heaven of heavens, and he saw God's throne, and he saw uh, what's going to happen all the way to the end of the world, and it's coming in great details. So, n- trying to know, or for God to reveal to us what he's planning to do in the future, requires us to be lifted up. We can't understand what is God's plan for the future is while we're still tied up here on earth. Even for somebody like St. John's statue, statue, and he's so way up there compared to us, he still needs to go up to heaven to be able to receive these visions and see more than these things. So after these things, that's a new vision. Whether it's the same day or different day or, you know, uh, at some other time, we don't know. It's not written there. A key word here, as you can see, a door was opened. Right? So, a door was opened in heaven. As I said, last time, or last time we met, or the last verses were about the church of Laodicea, that the state of the church was really bad. But despite their situation where they really needed, you know, desperate help from Christ, they had their door shut to Him. Uh, This is the exact opposite. God has His door open, and just for anybody to come in, that's why, for example, in today's churches, the altar, the tradition is there's no door, there's no lock on the doors, only a veil that anybody can push and enter into the altar um, so another thing to look at is heaven is always open in front of us uh, if we are at the right spiritual level so only when we're sort of bogged down in our uh, material things and in our uh, earthly life we see we don't see any doors in heaven we don't even see that there's a heaven uh, so it requires growth to see not just heaven, but also the door that's open in heaven. Uh, and the first voice which I heard was, it were, of a trumpet talking with me. Again, when was the trumpet used in the Old Testament? Announcing feasts, announcing major events, announcing wars, announcing the arrival of kings. So here we have the arrival of king of kings feast, it's a feast day when we see the heaven open and we uh, communicate with heaven and enter into heaven Uh, there's a war that's going to be against the church or there was a war against the church at that time and this war is going to continue until the end so there was a warning uh, uh, in the sound of trumpet about the war that's going to happen so we can look at the trumpet in any of these meanings Again, come up here, as we said, it's a kind of uplifting, and uh, it's, good. it's like, you know, you have a balloon, you know, one of those hot air balloons, uh, how, the, how is it going to go up? It needs two things, it needs to be filled with hot air, and you need to let go of the weights in the balloon. The more weights you let go, 
the higher the balloon goes. But at the same time, if you turn off the hot, the source of the heat and the air cools, what's going to happen to the balloon? Cools and drops. So let's take the same example in our life. What is what is what's going to what can lift us up? What is equivalent to the heat, the source of heat? It's the Holy Spirit. And what are the weights that we have to let go so we're light and can go up? It's the, you know, material, material things and, you know, our desires and our earthly desires. That's the one that's sort of slowing us down, the anchors that are slowing us down. The more we get rid of it, the lighter we're going to be. And the more we light up the Holy Spirit in our lives, that's going to heat up the air, it's going to lift us up. I will show you. So, this is an actual event that St. Paul, St. John actually saw. Uh, Some people say, oh, that's lucky, a videotape or whatever, but no, actually, God can take St. John throughout time and show him things in a condensed way. God can do anything. He's God, right? So how he showed him, we do not know. Uh, so, but the other thing is that a lot of times we seek to know our future through other people. God is the one who knows the future, and he's the one who's going to show it to us. All those you know, so other sources to know the future or depend on other people to know the future, distract us from the main source of knowing the actual truth about the future, which is the Lord, you know, through the Lord Himself and through His will. What must occur after after these things? Uh, so these are things that are going to happen, whether we like it, it's going to happen sooner or later. And from from this, we can see that the Lord is willing to share with us His plan. When we go back to Genesis, you know, chapter 18, find that the Lord said to Abraham, shall I hide from Abraham the things that, which I do, which I will do? So God is willing to share with us everything. If we are on the right spiritual level. He's willing to share with us not just, you know, what's going to happen today, but also what's going to happen in the future. When Daniel was fasting and praying and he was worried about the salvation of his people from captivity, God showed him not just when they're going to go back, but also when is he going to come, his first coming, and when is the second coming. God told Daniel in details, great details, events that are going to happen after him for the next 400 years until the coming of Christ and, and also for the second coming. So God wants to share with us. However, it depends on our spiritual level, our maturity, whether we are capable of receiving this message or not. And immediately I became in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat upon the throne. Immediately. Some people listen to God immediately when he said, come up here. John responded by immediately, he was in heaven, in the spirit, and other people, when I have time, I will uh, I will call you. So, immediately you see a throne sitting, you know, set up in heaven. 
And take your time, it's going to be a long time. So what is the story of the, of the throne? Actually, if we look in the Bible, there are multiple places where the throne was mentioned. Right? Uh, let's look at, you know, a quick comparison. Uh, there's more than one, actually. Right. Right. The first one we find in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter one talks about the throne. What does Ezekiel see? Let's you know. Let's let's read it quickly and see what it says. Let's let's open Ezekiel one and find the summary of that. Let's just hang. You can read from the first one. Yeah, you can read from the Mars if you want to. I'll let, I can. Can I make it lots bigger? I got it. Now it came to pass in the in the thirtieth year in the fourth month on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Sheber, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of the king, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Uzai, in the land of Chaldeans by the river Sheba. And the land of the Lord was upon him there. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud was trading fire, engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it, and radiating out of the midst like the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it, from within it came the likeness of our living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of the Lord. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight, were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of, of cow's feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides, and each of the four had faces and wings. Their wing up until a person. Uh, keep going. Uh, actually, we can we can stop here because this is the description of the four living creatures, the cherubim, and we're going to come to that later on. Right? Let's uh, the next one. Let's go to Ezekiel ten. Somebody read us Ezekiel 10. Verse. Um, verse 1 uh, until 6. And I looked, and there in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim, 
there appeared something like a sapphire stone, having the appearance of the likeness of a throne. Then he spoke to the man clothed with linen and said, Go in among the wheels under the cherub, fill your hands with the coal, with coals of the fire from among the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And he went in as I watched. <clears throat> now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple, and the house was filled with a cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard even in the outer court, like the voice of the Almighty God when He speaks. Then it happened when He commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, Take fire from among the wheels, from among the cherubim, that he went in and stood beside the wheels. Okay. No, let's, let's go to uh, Isaiah 6. Somebody else uh, volunteer? Chapter uh, seven. So all the way at the bottom. Exactly. 
apologize No. Um, that's okay. Thinking about the horns. Ah, hey. Alright, Daniel uh, seven nine and nine and ten only. Nine and ten. Sure. I watched the old thrones were put in the ten place, and the ancient of days was, was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the air of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a, uh, with a fiery flame. Its wheels are burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Okay. So we have, in addition to uh, Revelation 4, we have three other major visions of the throne of, of God. The first one is Ezekiel 1. Let's look at the uniqueness and the differences between, uh, between them. It was seen on earth. Right? That's number one. Uh, came out of a strong wind uh, or a whirlwind. So uh, the, the, the four living creatures were seen. Each of them had four faces. And hopefully next time we will discuss the differences between what St. John saw and what Ezekiel saw and how can we merge the two images to get the, a more complete uh, picture of the, those four creatures uh, the wheels and the wheels represents God's will and his intentions on earth that's why we find the wheels in, in Ezekiel but when we're going to read the revelation we're not going to find the wheels in revelation because the revelation for this is the throne seen in heaven it's not seen on earth so in heaven, God's will is already established. And there's no changes or there's no messages, new messages being sent. While on earth, there's still, God's will is not, still not in full control. Not everyone follows God. So there's still, you know, the wheels are still there. Here the throne was above the four creatures. And the appearance of a man on the throne. Again, he said the appearance of a man. If you read what uh, uh, Ezekiel the prophet wrote, he said uh, the appearance of a man. And again, surrounded by fire and rainbow. Let's go to the second one. Ezekiel 10, seen in the firmament from earth. Again, this is not in heaven. This is still seen from earth in the firmament, which is in the, you know, in the, in the sky or in the, you know, in the heaven above us. 
Again, the four shirubs here, he gives them a name. Not just the four living creatures, but he gives them names. Uh, again, the throne is above the shirubi, the shirubs. And the man wearing linen, that's a sign of the priesthood and incarnation of Jesus Christ. And there's burning coal under the, thr- the throne. If you go to Isaiah 6, the vision is seen in the temple. There are seraphs with six wings above the throne, not the cherubim under the throne. If you read it quickly, you're going to think that you know it's, it's the same thing. But if you read in details, the expressions used by different prophets are different. So the seraphs are in, you know, in one thing and the cherubim are different thing. And they're crying, holy, holy, holy is Jehovah uh, of the hosts, of the Lord of hosts. Again, and no description of the Lord here. When we're going to come to uh, Revelation, and we'll take that uh, in, in grade, I'm sorry, in Daniel. Uh, first, let's go through Daniel. This was a brief description of the throne of God. And in the context of chapter 7, he was talking about other prophecies, other kings who are going to come and rule on earth or other kingdoms. So this is describing uh, briefly God's uh, throne uh, and he's, he, there's his throne and then he's surrounded by other thrones and we're going to see the 24 priests and their thrones. Uh, Christ is described as ancient of day, days, which indication of his eternal uh, existence. A stream of fire is out of the throne and we're going to mix between that or we're going to relate between this and the river or the sea in front of the, the throne. Thousands and thousands of angels surround, surround the throne. That's another thing we're going to come to later on in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 in, in Revelation. So Revelation relates to a lot of these visions and that's why when we say that the Bible is written over a span of 1500 to 2000 years and different writers wrote the same thing, different eras, different backgrounds, and so on, and described the same thing. This is one of the signs that says that these things are true and are accurate. Here the difference is, as I said, the throne now is seen in heaven. As we read in the uh, first verse, the Lord is telling, you know, St. John, come up here. So the throne is seen in heaven. Again, the four heavenly creatures, cherubims under the throne no wheels are mentioned because God's will and intentions are already established in heaven Uh, the throne is above the cherubim and we're going to explain what that means and why is that Uh, could not be described he could not describe the one sitting on the throne we're going to explain that later on so and the throne is surrounded by the 24 priests and by the rainbow That sort of summary of all the appearances of a throne in the Old and New Testament. God said, I will establish the rainbow as a sign of my covenant with you. So it has to mean the same thing. Okay. All right. So we'll go back to verse 4. I said, and immediately I became in the spirit. And, you know, we can look at 
relate to I became in the spirit into the same thing as St. John said earlier in chapter 1 I was in the spirit uh, uh, Ezekiel said in three, Ezekiel 3.12 and the spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me a sound of a great rushing saying blessed be the glory of Jehovah from his place similar situation uh, in Corinthians you know 12.2 which we said earlier, I know a man in Christ uh, 14 years before, whether in the body or I do not know, or outside the body, I do not know. God knows such, such a man was caught up uh, to the third heaven. So being in the spirit is a spiritual state. Um, whether it's in the body or outside the body, we don't know. We haven't been there yet. Hopefully each of us will experience before we leave the body completely. Uh, one of these days a throne was set in heaven well the question is is there really a throne for God wasn't there a monk a story about a monk who was 44 years old and he kind of experienced moments in his way to heaven oh and he wrote this big letter and yeah a lot of stories Thank you. We know what, what's been delivered to us through the Bible. So that's these are things we don't, you know, we only know. But does God uh, allow for other people to experience these things? Yes. And do do people? You sit down with people who uh, serve a lot, with people who sort of you know get what they call near death experience. But this is different. This is not a near death experience. This is none of these things. This is the person who's been praying, who's been meditating. He's been, as we said with the hot air balloon he's been filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is really working with him really hard and he has been shedding a lot of the weight that's putting him down so he spiritually can you know is in constant contact with God and he can be lifted up if you remember we talked once about Samuel in the Old Testament and the growth of the relationship between Samuel and God and how Samuel started by not recognizing God's voice and had to rely on uh, uh, you know, to explain to him this is God's voice until later on that he was as if he's thinking and God responding to his thoughts immediately it's like a conversation going on between him and God con- you know, constantly so these are spiritual states that people reach through prayers through meditations you know, through fasting until they get there it's not like those things that somebody stops their heart and almost die. And a little bit different. Okay. So the question right now is, a throne is set in heaven. As God really sits on a throne, how big is that throne? Nobody mentions dimensions here, right? Nobody said that the throne is, you know, 10 feet by 10 feet and, you know, 20 feet high or, or whatever. So what, what is the story? First, God is unlimited, right? So He doesn't need to sit on a throne. He, he, nothing will contain Him. He doesn't have a, re, you know, a chair to sit on. And if He has a chair, how, how big that chair will be? The size of the universe? Well, the universe is too small for God anyway. Right? So there's no, you know, this is, again, all these things are symbols and things to make us try to understand. 
when we say God the King of Kings, in our limited understanding of kings and human beings, any king must have a throne. And the bigger the king is, and the more stronger the king is, the throne has to be more glorious and has to be fancy and have to be a lot of people around the throne and so on. So this is how God is communicating to us. This is how God is explaining to us His glory and His presence. Is it really that way? We don't know. As we're going to see, St. John saw things that he could not explain by normal words. The same thing, you're going to go to Ezekiel 1, say, like, like a man, like, and so on. So there's nothing that can describe what they're saying. But they're using human language to express what they're saying. Okay. And the, and the example for that, we go back, as we said the first time. Let's say you get somebody from 50 or 100 years ago and show them what technologies we have today. Plasma TVs and cell phones and, and all this. And I'm sure if you hear to what I'm saying right now, in 20, 30 years, you're going to laugh at what I'm saying because the technology would have advanced so much that the, the language we're using today would be obsolete in 20 years. So even if our language, our daily language changes in describing what we mean. Right now we have verbs like Google and so on. If you tell somebody, you know, 20 years ago, not even 20, 5 years ago, Google this. You know, so what are you talking about? What is the verb Google? There's nothing in the dictionary called, you know, to Google something. Right? But now we use it as a verb, as an adjective, you know, as everything, right? So we create a new language. So... Our language is limited in describing heaven. They use the words they have at their vocabulary and at their disposal to describe something that's undescribable. So, a bigger, the biggest example for this, and when he said, uh, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and when he tried to describe the person who was sitting on the throne, he said, and, a, and one sat upon the throne. He didn't say, son of man, like he said, before he didn't say an angel, he didn't say, uh, didn't give him any description. He said one, because it's undescribable. Okay. So again, we go back and say a throne. A throne is where the king resides. A throne is where he sits down to judge. A throne where he sits down to control things. This is where he sits. Now you and I can be thrones for God. If God sits and is comfortable where he's sitting, that's going to be his throne. So you and I, our lives, our, our hearts can be thrones for God. Any reason why not? If God is not going to be comfortable in my heart, he's not going to sit there. If he's going to find a place to be comfortable at, He's going to sit there, and I'm going to be his throne. And if I'm going to be his throne, guess what? I'm going to be surrounded by the angels, I'm going to be surrounded by the saints, I'm going to be commonplace for all those heavenly hosts to come and visit. Because when God exists, all these heavenly hosts and all these angels surround him all the time. That's why we see the real saints, the holy people, they have such a strong relationship with the heavenly and the saint, the other saints, and you know they talk to the angels. They talk to saint, you know, like Baba Krulis, for example. He, he was a good buddy with Mary Mina, right? Because he was 
throne of God, so also the saints can communicate with Him. Uh, a throne was set in, you know, uh, was set in heaven. The, the church teaches that there are, you know, three heavens. There is the heaven of the birds, which is the one we see, we all know of. This is the atmosphere that surrounds the earth. There is the heaven of the stars, which is all the way until the edge of the universe, which we don't know when, where it is yet. There is the third heaven, which St. Paul was taken, that's the paradise. And the, there is the heaven of heavens. This is where the throne of God is. That's it. The fourth one is referred to as the heaven of heavens. So they don't call it as a heaven, but they call it the heaven of heavens. So we went through the throne and how the throne looked in the various, you know, prophecies, Ezekiel uh, 120, uh, Ezekiel 10, Isaiah 6, Daniel 7, 9, uh, and we compared how the throne looked between the four of them. And he who sat there looked like a jasper stone and a sardis and a rainbow was around the throne looking like an emerald. Wait a minute. You go back to you know chapter 1. When he saw the Lord, he was able to describe him like, you know, eyes of fire, tongue, you know, like a two-edged sword, you know, brass feet and, you know, strong and mighty. But here he didn't give any of these descriptions. Because again, the first vision was on earth. Now he's seeing God in his full glory. So even Ezekiel, you go back to Ezekiel 1, when he was describing the Lord, he was describing him from one who's seeing this vision on earth. So the more you go up, the more you're going to know new things about God. And then at that time, God becomes undescribable. It's a very nice, you know, situation is that you find that the people who don't know anything about God, they're very willing to describe God at once. Who is God? Oh, they tell you, oh, God is, you know, He is A, B, C, D, and you know, they can give you a quick description of Him. You come to those people who really are advanced in spiritual life and they tell them, describe God, we can't describe Him. That's why the Gregorian liturgy uses the negation. He is not limited. He is not seen. He is not, you know, incomprehensible. Right? Why? Because we can't explain who God is. So the more we advance spiritually, guess what? The less we know about God. Not because we know less but because we discover that we were totally blind, and now when we're seeing, we're being dazzled by this you know, huge light that we cannot really understand what we're seeing. Right? Like, I have mud on my face, and you know, despite the mud on my face that's covering my eye completely, I think I'm, I see. In reality, I don't see. And once I start cleaning the mud, I start seeing things, I don't understand it. Right? That's why the descriptions here are also vague. So what does these stones mean and you know why they look you know what they look like? But the Jasper I think was also mentioned by Ezekiel. 
The father said the jasper is jasper and sardis. These are two stones that were put on the vest of the high priest in the Old Testament. The high priest was supposed to wear a vest that has 12 stones, and these stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel, as a reminder to God of his people and of the 12 tribes. Uh, by the way, does God really need to remind, do we need to remind God about things? Do we need to remind God that when we pray the litanies, remember, O oh Lord, the safety of your church, remember, O oh Lord, our patriarch, remember, O oh Lord, the sick of your people. Does God need to be reminded? Doesn't He already know these things? He wants us to ask Him now. But why? He says, knock on the door. And I'm sorry? Did He yeah. say, knock on the door? And like say you knock on the door. Like seek and it will be granted. Okay, but why? This way we share in, in helping those people that are prayed for. Like if God helped them without us asking, then He did it. But if we prayed also and then He helped them, He also contributed to them being helped. So what is God's? Why would God, you know, benefit from us contributing? When I keep asking, when the, you know, God teaches me to ask for other people, that's who's going to change? Who's going to start being worried and caring about other people? Me. And little bit by little bit, I start caring about other people the same way God cares about other people. God originally knows the need of everyone. He takes care of the bird of the sky, right? He doesn't need... Nobody tells him, you know, please, Lord, take care of, you know the chicks of the, you know, uh, ravens and uh, the babies of the snakes and stuff like that. He already is taking care of these things himself. So he doesn't need to be reminded about the whole church, about the whole world, about, you know, the sick, the poor, the widow and the needy and all that. But when he, we we pray on for them, we're the ones who remember them. So I'm offering my, you know, doing my offerings, I'm doing my, my prayers, and Abuna says, you know, remember, O oh Lord, you know, the sick of your people, and remember that I have a friend or relative who's sick, ah, I start praying for them, and I start caring about them, I start visiting them, I start taking care of them. I become the image of God in my relationship with people. I start getting outside of me, zone, into the others. Stop being more internal and start be focused on external on other people he doesn't need to be reminded so when when the the high priest used to wear the vest with the 12 stones you know remembering resembling the 12 tribes of Israel as a reminder to God it was basically to tell people look you guys are in front of God all the time every time the high priest talks to God don't forget that you are in God's presence. Okay. Uh, so it reminds people that God is always remembering them and they are in His presence all the time. So they said that these two stones were part of the vest of the archpriest. And they said that uh, 
The high quality jasper is transparent, indicates God's purity and holiness. There are no impurities in it, there's no multicolors. He's all pure uh, and holy. And the sardis is a red color, represents the blood that was shed on the cross on our behalf. And he who sat there looked like a jasper stone and a sardis, and a rainbow was around the throne. When was rainbow mentioned? After the flood and a sign as a covenant between God and man that he will no longer destroy the world. So this covenant is always in God's presence. It's also an indication to us that look man, no matter what happens, God has made this covenant and he has put the sign of covenant in front of him so he would not, he would never forget it. Not that God would forget it, but it's to us as an assurance since God keeps His promises, this is the assurance that God will remember His covenant. But also, again, just to, to know that all these are symbolic. And around the throne looking like an emerald. The emerald is a green color. Is the rainbow green? No, it's not. So how can the rainbow be green? Again, it's all symbols. The green is a sign of life. So when a person departs and the priest goes to the house to the third day to praise, he asks people to bring something green, celery or, you know, madunis or whatever, and bread to pray. So he will, t- as you know, telling the people in the, in the house, look, the person who departed is now in, where, in a place of the living. He's not in a place of dead. He's really living, but in somewhere else. So green is a sign of, of life. So around the throne is a rainbow and uh, a green sign of life. Now we start getting into the interesting part. And around the throne I saw 24 thrones and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white clothing and the, the crowns of gold in their heads. Well, if you look at the actual... Uh, meaning of the word elders it's written uh, presbyters and presbyters basically is the word used to describe the priest in Peter 1 that says that you know uh, uh, called you know the priest of the church uh, and so on so it mentioned multiple times as priests. So here everything Greek. Yes. So it's Presbyter. And at the beginning of the church, the word Presbyter, though it was it meant elder, it was dedicated and used to uh, mean a priest in particular. So this is these are twenty four priests sitting on 24 stones. So what are these people? Are they humans? Or are they something else? Are they really the 12 disciples? Or 12, uh, <laughs> you're, actually, you're, you're very right about they stand for the 12 disciples and they stand for 
not just the 12 tribes, they stand for the God's people in the Old Testament. Right? Let's look at some simple equation that describes certain uh, numbers. Again, we're going to start getting into numbers, and numbers are going to become fun part to look at and you know, to read. There is a simple, simple equation that we need to understand. Number 12. What does number 12 mean? And why is number 12? Why did God choose number 12, 12 disciples, disciples, 12 tribe? Uh-huh. Okay. And 4 times 3. And 4 represents people in all corners of the world. And 3 represents the Trinity. So... Four times three are all the people of the world that have God in them. They're God's people. That's why number 12 always stands for God. And that's why later on we're going to see the 144,000 from Israel. And they're in heaven. So 12 times 12 is 144. Here 12 plus 12, God's people from the Old Testament... And God's people from the New Testament. And the fathers don't like to say that these are the 12 tribes for one reason. If they say this is the 12 tribes, this negates the presence of people like the the patriarchs. From Adam all the way up to Moses and Aaron. Where do all these people go? So is Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and, and you know, not represented in these 12? Of course not, they are represented. Is Malkisadeh, for example, not represented here? Of course he is. So these are the... Twelve represents the church of the Old Testament, and twelve represents the church of the New Testament. And these are heavenly creatures. They're not humans. They're heavenly beings as well. They represent humans. They uh, intercede on behalf of humans. And they do the role of priests. Uh, I read something... Okay, I remember. I have the books of Abu Nasadrus my upstairs. Uh, Abu Nasadrus in, in his book saying that some of the modern uh, Protestants are saying that those 24 priests are the ones who are going to continue with the role of the church during the rapture. Of course, it doesn't make sense because these people have been there, these thrones have been there in God's presence forever. And they're going to continue to be there uh, forever but again these people these representing you know us as humans they are the closest to God and guess what they have thrones we're not going to hear about you know a lot of other ranks of angels or whatever that have thrones in heaven only the 24 priests they have thrones they have crowns and they have that surrounding the Lord the Lord's throne that shows the status that God puts to humans and how much he cares about them how much he loves them how much he you know, gets them close to him uh, again clothed with white clothing and they have crowns of gold in their heads that's why the priests in our church wear what they wear white 
they wear the talasana, gold, to represent those 24 priests. So the clothes that Abuna wears is not just, you know, some costume from the old days. You know, the church looked at the old, you know, the revelation in particular and copied everything. So you walk to church, you go inside, the minute you step inside the church, if you know the book of Revelation, you know that you are in heaven. You see the the altar inside, the cherubims, the you know the four creatures. You see the priest wearing there the same way those priests are wearing, crowns of gold, wearing white. You see the you know the angels, the deacons around the altar, and you see the other deacons outside, like all the angels, and then you see the people as we're going to see all these pictures later on. So you walk to church, you walk to heaven. Okay. And out of the throne came lightning and thundering and voices and seven lamps of fire burning in front of the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Uh, lightning these are God's, you know, actions, the, you know, you know, amazing things that God shows to us and the things He does. And we see the same thing that in other visions like Ezekiel and so on, He saw the same things. Uh, thundering are God's promises and God's uh, words. So basically... Uh, that's why when a lot of people read the Bible and even the church before we read the Bible, what does the deacon says? Stand up in fear and trembling. You're going to hear the word of God. So, and I, I know, for example, in the Greek church, when the Bible is read, nobody, absolutely nobody is allowed to move in the church. Exactly. Why? Because God is speaking. Thundering. And lightning. When you hear thunder, you're scared. Now imagine if God, we all believe that what's on the altar, as where is this picture that was there, is God's body and blood. Imagine if God revealed to us His glory in this way. Who's going to approach communion? Which one of us will dare to come close? To the altar to receive communion. No one. When God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, same thing, lightning and thunder and fire and, and all that. What happened to the people of Israel? Is it no no no, we're scared. We can't go. We can't even talk to God. You go, you talk to God, and when you're done talking to God, come back and talk to us. Because we are afraid. If God revealed to us his glory on the altar in the same way no one will show up in church. We're all going to be so afraid because of the sin that's inside us, no one will be able to come close to church. So when God hides this glory in a sacrament, in an urbana, in, in you know wine and water, or when He hides the Holy Spirit in water and mayroon for baptism, or when He hides it, in Abuna, right? uh, and a simple cross, and he hides 
his power in you know in these sacraments. That's why we call it sacraments. It's a gift that's not seen through something that that we see. But if God showed us all what we're supposed to see, which one of us will dare? No one. So it's out of His mercy that He doesn't show share with us His glory until we are righteous enough to see those pictures, like for example, the one we saw with Amber Fell and you know, and so on. Okay. And voices can be promises, can be the prophecies, can be anything that comes out of God and you know from God's uh, place. And seven lamps of fire were burning in front of the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Again, we go back and say that the seven spirits of God are what the Holy Spirit. Why seven spirits? Because it is complete. Number seven is a complete number. It's complete in its work in all of us. Tribute someone, it strengthens someone, you know, it comforts someone else, and so on. So that's why. It's represented always by the seven spirits of God. And the sea of glass was in front of the throne like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front of in front and behind. And the sea of glass. As we saw in Daniel, was it in Daniel? Yes, in Daniel 7, uh, 9 and 10, we saw a stream of fire out of the throne. Stream of fire. How can a stream be fire? How can it be? Unless, as the Father says, this sea of glass represents baptism. So the Holy Spirit proceeds from the throne of God or you know comes from the throne of God into the basin of baptism to take us back to God's throne and we walk on the sea which is you know a representation of the Holy Spirit but in general the sea in the Bible uh, represents the turbulence word because it's going up and down, there are waves and, you know, hurricanes and all these nasty stuff that happens in the sea. And, you know, it's not stable, it's not like a river. A river is bound by, uh, you know, sides and it flows and the life can flourish around the river. The sea, you drink from it, it's salty, you're thirsty, not satisfied, you cannot live of the sea. You cannot live on fish all your life. You have to drink some water, right? You have to eat vegetables and fruits and stuff like that. So you cannot live off the sea. So, but the fathers, you know, all of most of the fathers, and we're going to back uh, when we jump uh, to Revelation uh, 15. We're going to see also that Saint John describes this as glass and fire in Revelation 15:2. Let's look at that quickly. And I saw. As it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. 
right? So the sea represents the baptism, represents the victory of the world. A glass stands for purity and for reflecting God's image. And we reflect God's image so uh, on this glass. Right. And it's mingled with fire because the Holy Spirit is also fire. Right? So baptism, you know, what did St. John say about uh, Christ? He's going to be baptized with what? Spirit and water, right? And the Holy Spirit came, descended on the disciples as fire. So the Father see that this is the most close interpretation. Now, but he said about Christ that he would baptize in fire. In water and spirit, yes. Yes, I didn't. I can get that verse, you know. So I'll, I'll get it next time. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here for today because the four living creatures. There's a whole study next time, most likely, which is gonna be not the 15th. It's gonna be the 22nd. It's gonna be we're gonna cover only the four living creatures, most likely. That will take probably a whole session by itself. The four living creatures, what they mean, the different meanings of them, uh, comparison between Ezekiel and, uh, you know, Saint John, what they saw, the differences there, and so, and so on. Okay. So we stopped at verse six. Any any comments? Any questions so far? That was very deep. Okay. Thank you.